Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Glover's Talk, Somerset Live's weekly podcast discussing all things the Oval Town. We are, of course, recording this on Monday, January 29th, just a few days after Yeovil Town took on Manchester United in the FA Cup fourth round. And sadly, of course, as you'll probably all know, it was a, it was a 4-0 win for the Red Devils in the end. So we're going to be discussing that in this episode. I'm your host, Liam Trim. Joining me is Stephen Dalbiak. Hi, Liam. He's our sports reporter here at Somerset Live. And also with me, as always, is Mike Taylor. Hello, how are you doing? Not too bad, not too bad, Mike. Right, so don't forget to check somersetlive.co.uk forward slash sport for all of our content on Yeovil Town versus Manchester United. And as we look ahead, of course, to upcoming matches for Yeovil, crucially in the league as they look to stay in the Football League and also in the Checker Trade Trophy. Well, the Checker Trade Trophy, it's very difficult to get that one out. <laughs> and also, all the latest uh, from this podcast is on iTunes and Audio Boom. If you search for Glover's Talk, you can subscribe to episodes of this podcast. Right, let's discuss the Manchester United match then, Stephen. How well do you think the Glover's played? Because certainly, from my vantage point inside the stadium, I think people were very impressed with the first, perhaps opening half an hour in particular at Hewish Park. I think they can be very proud of how they played. I thought it was a very um, dedicated, committed performance. Um, they they played beyond themselves. They they really gave it a good go, which I was very impressed by. And um, unfortunately, though, it's Manchester United. Um, and when you when you play a team of that quality, eventually the quality will begin to show. Probably nine times out of ten, and you, you will unfortunately be on the receiving end of a defeat but I don't think that takes away from any of the performances that the players on the pitch put in for Yeovil because it was very impressive a lot of the time I think you're right this first 20-25 minutes were absolutely outstanding and Yeovil had the best chances of the game and certainly the first half an hour I think up until um, I think it was McTominay had the um, shot which drew a very good save out of Arta Krizyak Manchester United had hardly had a um, had a shot and it was Jordan Green and Omar Sawimini who had the chances who could potentially have even put the Glovers in front and if had that happened it would have been unbelievable but unfortunately the quality of Manchester United was always likely to show at some point it's just a shame that when that goal did come it came through an error by Tom James who I thought apart from that was absolutely outstanding but of course that let Marcus Rashford in and then in the second half I think he could just tell when Yeovil began to tire Manchester United have, you know, a couple of lesser known players like Romelu Lukaku and Jesse Lingard who can just <laughs> come on and, um, you know, have a have an old cameo. And um, once once uh, once those players are on the pitch, there was no way back for Yeovil. But I thought they played very well. And I think a 4-0 scoreline was very, very harsh on them given oh, yeah. the effort and the performance they put in. I think a, probably a 2-0, possibly you could say a 3-0 was probably what would have been the right result on the night. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, um, I think it got to like 80 minutes and I thought 2-0 is not bad really for Yeovil. We predicted some off either sim and we all, I think all, you and me actually predicted it and the previous podcast would be a 2-0 win. United, um, I think again, yeah. I mean, um, I think at 30 35 minutes, I thought if you ever get to half time nil nil, they've got a serious chance here because they just need to repeat that performance again, help be a bit more resilient, and they, we could have had a way through to um, Old Trafford. It would have been great for the club as well. It was yeah, really, yeah. I mean, it was really unlucky for Tom James because, again, as you said, he I think he was possibly the, him or um, Krishniak was possibly the best player for Yeovil on the, on the night, really. And um, I think. I hope Tom James doesn't dwell on that too much, really. I think he should just learn from that mistake and just say, don't do it again. Well, let's talk about that first yeah. goal and what happened there, because it was very bizarre. It seemed like James had done the hard work. He basically got his body in between Marcus Rashford and the ball, looked like he'd basically won the challenge. 
And then the combination of him, Smith and Chris Jack not communicating meant that no one dealt with it. And Rashford, yeah. to be fair to him, just persistence, wasn't it? And then just nicked a little foot in there and tucked it past the keeper. Yeah, and I think the, I think a lot of that is to do with the opponents and the level of opponent that they're playing. I suspect if you do that in a League 2 game, nine times out of ten, you get away with it. Eventually somebody puts a boot for it or the, the striker who's coming up doesn't have the nouse to get in between you and the goalkeeper and put it in. Mm. Unfortunately, when you're playing... Uh, against a Premier League opponent, against a striker of the quality of Marcus Rashford, he's got—he's not only got the ability, but he's got that sort of that nous in that that street street smarts really to to get in front of um, James and just prod the ball home. And um, it was an unfortunate error. And like I said, I thought Tom James was absolutely brilliant on Friday night. I think technically he's a very gifted player. He's got a bright future in the game, and hopefully, I don't think it will dent his confidence because he's been one of you know, his more solid performers mm. all season. And um, but it, it's a shame because if that was the 41st minute of that goal, had he over got to half-time, like you say, I think it would have been very interesting yeah. to see how the second half say, let's just would have unfolded. A bit of, what, a bit of what might have been because um, it did feel very much like if they got in at half-time at nil-nil, like, like Mike was saying, they, you, know, you could at least start to dream of, of holding out for a draw and maybe a very lucrative replay. Yeah, we yeah. all actually, I mean, can we talk about the plan? Possibly. Well, we would have, we would have hopefully been going up to cover it. Yeah, yeah so it would yeah. have been an exciting time for us, but yeah. not just for that, but you know, all the Oval fans. And I know that Darren came out after the game and sort of said, I think he alluded to it being sort of the only moment of the game that he regrets and it could have been done better as well because it did feel like a turning point, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think what you, what you have is against these teams, they're obviously expected to beat you and the longer you can keep them at bay, the more nervous they become and the more yeah. that tension begins to creep in on their side. And I know that I, I think it's going to a stretch to say that Yeovil were ever going to get a draw from the game because when you have players like Lukaku and Lingard who can come Still on reserve, and did come yeah. on, yeah. they've almost got that as a safety buffer. But what you ideally would have wanted to do is for um, Jose Mourinho to have to turn to those players to win them the game rather than bring them on when it was already 2-0 two, two to them. The tie was almost you know, already put to bed mm. and they were able to come on and have a bit of fun whereas what ideally Yeovil would have wanted to do is have something still to play for and for those players to have to come on and make an impact because I think there's a big difference in the mentality of those players when they're coming on at 2-0 up and they're just given the freedom to roam around a bit compared to the pressure that probably would have been on Romelu Lukaku had he been brought on with half an hour to go with at 0-0 the pressure and the onus mm. really would have been on him to produce something yeah. whereas it wasn't when... Um, when he came on, and that obviously, you know, would have been reflected in some way in the performance that he did put in because it was he, he played well when he came on, he scored the goal. But whether you know it would have been different had it been nil nil when he came on, we just don't know. Absolutely. Well, before we move on to discuss some of the individual performances from players, both on the United team and the Oval team on the night, I just wanted to dwell on on the sense of occasion around the tie, really, and the atmosphere inside Jewish Park. It was obviously. I think it was 9,100 odd, isn't yeah, it? 9,195. 9,195, yeah. so nearly 9,200 people in Hewish Park. And then you had all the atmosphere around the stadium. You know, obviously you and I, Stephen, were both in and around the ground for yeah. a few hours beforehand. And it just really did have that sense of occasion for Yeovil, didn't it? It's great. And I think it's the sort of game that Yeovil is a club. And and, and I think Yeovil is football fans of Yeovil. They, they needed that because it's not been great on the pitch. The last couple of years have been difficult. They've been, you know, it's not been much to shout about. And this was something that can really give everybody a lift. It was a fantastic occasion. A great atmosphere inside Yeovil Park. And... Um, I know the result didn't go the way that, um, that fans would have wanted it to go, but it was probably never going to go that way. It was more about the sense of occasion and just to give 
people something to enjoy, something that doesn't happen very often, and something that in years, um, in you know, in years in the future, people will look back on Friday and say, "Were you there? Can you remember how yeah. how great great it was to be there?" And um, I, I know it's only three years since the last time Manchester United came down, but I don't think it ever gets any less special because of that, because there were different players. Of course, Jose Mourinho wasn't there in 2015. Only one Yeovil player, I think Nathan Smith, actually played in the game in 2015. So it was, it was, you know, it did have a sense of freshness and a sense of something special about it. And um, and I, I think, uh, you know, I'm I'm really glad that those fans who who did go along were able to enjoy it, even if the result on the night didn't quite go the way that they would have wanted it to. Yeah, and they were able to see some, you know, really real first team players from Man United, and we'll come on to discuss it. And briefly from you, Mike, I just wanted to ask you. You were able to watch the match uh, here in the office, actually, uh, on the coverage on, on BBC Sport. Yeah. What sense did you get from that coverage of, it, of, of kind of how the game was going down nationally? Um, the angle really was it was a fairy tale. I mean, it was lowest ranked uh, team against the second top in, in the Premier League. So yeah. there was a lot, lot of romance to the club. Obviously, BBC Sport did their general, generic, uh, this is Yeovil, this is the West Country. All the people who had uh, Southwest accents make it look like we live in the shire or something and it was it was it that we like i was like okay i like that um that's fair enough um the coverage was really good as well obviously joe's Mourinho got his uh birthday brew cider which oh was yeah he said he wouldn't him, drink it didn't he i think um right? he said i'll take it or i won't try it so yeah. i think joe's that's, needs that's to open his right. mind a bit there's nothing wrong with cider there's it's nothing wrong with cider no, 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 no i think if he tries it he'll be very surprised and very it will, impressed it will, blow, it will blow his mind i think um but i think the I think the whole general coverage was uh, would be positive towards the Oval. They, I think there was an acceptance that United were going to win tonight, mm. on the night, um, but I think they just wanted the Oval to have maybe have a chance, maybe have a free kick that maybe hits the bar or a goal line clearance and make them go. This just a moment for the Oval Town, yeah. but it was really good. I mean, I, I was really impressed by the coverage and Dan Walker has gone on the pitch side, um, the Johnson being involved as well. All the memes came out of it as well. It was quite funny as well. Yeah. So, uh, and it was uh, Ian Wright, Alan Shearer, and Gary Lineker in the studio. Yes, yeah. yes. So no. all the big guns down for the BBC. Yeah, of course. And then uh, Ian Wright obviously came down in '93, didn't he, to score a hat trick for Arsenal? He did. Yeah. Any yeah. reference yeah. that? Good, good knowledge there <laughs> from uh, from the Arsenal <laughs> fan in the room. Mike, well done. Well, there you go. All right, Steve. Who who was for you on in the Yeovil Town side? Who kind of stood out for you as? as really upping their game to, to cope with, with the big players of Manchester United? I think there are a few. I think, first of all, I think every Yeovil player pulled their weight on the pitch. I don't think there was one you could say had a bad game or was really disappointing. I think they, it was a really good team effort, um, first of all. In terms of individuals, I think Tom James, we've spoken about him. I think he was the best Yeovil player on the pitch or out of the night. It's just a real shame that what he did was so good and the rest of the game was mm. almost a little bit sort of overshadowed by the mistake that he made. But I don't think you can let that take away from the quality of his overall performance. Because, he really went toe-to-toe yeah. with Sanchez, didn't he? Yeah. He didn't really look exposed a lot no. of the time. I know Sanchez had a part in two of the goals, but really he didn't, you know, he never, never there was never a point where he really dominated the overall, no. where he really, no. you know, got on top of it. And that's to mm. his credit. I think I think the whole defence played well, but I think Nathan Smith and Omar Swimney, you know, were very solid. Ryan Dixon, the way he kept bombing forward even yeah. to the latter stages of the game was very good and of course he had Arta Krizyak who pulled off an outstanding stop from um, Scott McTominay in the first half and I mean that was a top class save I think yeah there are Premier League goalkeepers who may not have saved that one it was that good so that was pleasing to see I think going forward you know you, you didn't quite have sort of the attacking 
edge that perhaps you may have wanted them to see. But Jordan Green in the first 20, 25 minutes was superb. He had Matteo Damian, you know, right? He just, Damian couldn't get near him. I thought he looked like he was biggest threat, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was okay. I would have earmarked Spain to get a goal. Yeah, yeah, Zoko was also I, a handful for them. Yeah, and I think the way that Green got into the box early on and had that chance, I know Romero saved it, it was a tight angle, but it just showed, you know, the, the amount of. Um, amount of work he was putting in and also mm. for his pace he has because it, it's proven you know I always said with Jordan Green is that his pace is something that can cause anybody problems and the fact that he's gone up against an Italy international who of course played very well when they um, beat England in the 2014 World Cup and um, to have him not be able to get near him you know it's a lot he deserves a lot of credit for that mm, yeah. and of course you have the story about him stacking shelves which the BBC were more than happy to um, <laughs> not the fact bring that out. Bomb, for goodness sake you know, no. but... yeah they latched on to that they yeah. latched on to that um, and I'm glad you mentioned Nathan Smith because it was a fantastic moment where he uh, yeah. it was a foul, but he did clatter Alexis Sanchez. And that yeah, was he's, he's now earned uh, uh, cult hero status among the Arsenal fans. And Mike, obviously, we've alluded to it already. You you are an Arsenal fan, so you were sad to see Sanchez <laughs> go. But I was surprised, and I think a lot of people in the stadium were surprised when Alexis Sanchez was announced as the man of the match because although his there were moments where his mm. class really did show, as Stephen's already said. I do think that for a lot of the game he didn't dominate as you'd expect, and he, you know, he, he gave the ball away a fair bit, and he only really threatened on the break, and he was only on the pitch for seventy minutes yeah, or so. Yeah. So, how good was Sanchez in your opinion? I think I think he, he was given um, man a match because um, he got two assists in the night, and you think on paper he's had a good performance if he's got two assists in the. But for me, win. you know, that that Rashford goal was barely an assist. Oh yeah, it's just yeah. Just a stat I, where he played the last pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But really, Rashford's made that goal for so himself as we've discussed so, just by being persistent. In, well, air quotation marks, he had two assists. Exactly. But yeah. really, he had, I think, one. Yeah. But so really, that, that bit where he plays a nice reverse pass to Herrera, who's overlapping him, that was quality sound. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was and, but for me, wanted, I yeah. there's not a lot else that, I, apart from some cross-field yeah. passes, which weren't very good to him, and he just plucked them out of the air with some great control. Yeah. But, you know, that's nothing... Nothing special and, and of course, the thing about the second assist as well is that we were saying about Tom James and about how he kept... Um, kept you know pretty much under wraps all night yeah. that second goal came from a counter-attack from the oval corner so yeah. it wasn't as though Sanchez unlocked for defence you know it was a good counter-attack and not taking I'm not taking anything away from that yeah. but it, it was one of the only moments where Yeovil were ever really caught and of yeah. course once you get in that position more often than not if you find the right ball then you're going to create the goal Yeah, I think his debut in all fairness was what you expect really he's sort of you know, he's, he's been training with the squad I think one or two times he's travelled away from Manchester Sampton to Park, a place called Somerset and um, you know, and you know, naturally he was going to be a bit like I don't think he was going to have set the set the mm. set the pitch on fire to say to speak. I think he was going to have a very um, you know just a very general performance. You know, you'll play a few passes, you'll beat one two men. But I didn't expect him to score. I didn't expect him to have a a, a brilliant game. It just did what he expected really. Yeah. But I think that the overall fans as well. I, I did notice as well. I don't know if you noticed before for the game. But they were a lot of them that just cheering Sanchez. Yeah, there was quite a lot of booing for Sanchez. Yeah, which yeah, was interesting. Yeah, it, it reminds me really because it's a bit like um, when when Fernando Torres went from Liverpool to Chelsea, and then every um, every game up until he eventually scored the goal, everyone was booing and all jeering him mm. because he cost a fifty million pounds. A bit of resentment to the big money move. Maybe, yes, yeah. yeah, of course, and obviously they think, oh, he's this world class swinger thing you think he is coming yeah. to the Park trying to do a few step overs yeah. and trying to. Beat Nathan Smith to the ball, you know. What's this, what's this beaver about? <laughs> and yeah. he did have a free kick at one point, didn't he? But it was comfortably safe by Cruz. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting one because I think he he did show signs of his class. But like I say, 
I'm surprised he did end up with 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 Man of Yeah, Man. Martin Keown on the commentary was very much like he. I think throughout the commentary he was very much very bitter about Sanchez going to United. Who would we have given some Man of the Match to? I guess if we were I throwing think it out there. from a Yeovil point of view, and I, I I would if it hadn't been for that mistake, I would have said James. But I think I'd probably I'd say give it to Krizyak probably just for the the yeah. save that he produced mm. in the first half to um but to I keep scoring more and also second. Been, Go on. Also, second half, he, he made a couple of decent stops from Rashford. He made another one from Lingard. He yeah. saved a free kick from Sanchez. So he did pull off several key saves that kept the score down until the final few minutes. And I, I think it was a very short performance. But if, if you accept that the man of the match, I guess, normally goes to the winning team, yeah. is there anyone on that United team who who arguably stamped the authority on the game yeah, a bit I thought, more than Sanchez? I thought Rashford played well. I thought yeah, Matter you know, was impressive. I, thought, I think Carrick sort of quietly yeah. ran the show. But Tomine was good as well, yeah. I think, considering I think it was only his fifth or sixth performance yeah, was it yeah, for, yeah. Uh, for, or certainly start anyway I thought he was very composed and assured so um, I, I think there were several United players who perhaps could have got it mm. um, but I, I wouldn't have given it to Sanchez and I think and I know why they um, announced it in the stadium as I did but I think that was, that was probably a really bad error of judgement yeah, yeah. on Yeovil's part to announce Sanchez as the man of a match I know it was an Emirates decision but you know, you, the reaction, you know, tells you all you need to know about what fans yeah. thought of it. I think the least they could have done, because there was a match sponsor, and the match sponsors at Hirsch Park generally do yeah. choose for Man of a Match. I think the it's least that they could have done is if, really, yeah. is if there's an Emirates Man of a Match you have to announce, at least announce a, a, a match sponsor Man of a Match as well with yeah. the um, with the Oval player, because I think he actually did some of the Oval team a disservice to hear that, uh, the, the award had gone to a Manchester United player because they played very well themselves and they did not deserve to be on the end of a 4-0 defeat. Yeah, true. But I guess my point on that would be, you know, you want to be treated as, as an, any other team playing Manchester United and I guess any other team being playing Manchester United would have heard the man of the match. Yeah, Bamford, it's the only time I've ever heard a Yeovil player not given a man of a match. And a man yeah, of but like you say, job, this is yeah. a different occasion whereas yeah. they're not in Yeovil's hands, I suppose. But anyway, talking of Sanchez, we'll move on to the quiz. There we go. Where we're going to do seven questions in honour of Alexis Sanchez and his number seven on the back. <laughs> Just of the let show. it go, Liam. So, uh, who forced Sergio Romero into an early save? Oh, Jordan Green. Correct. We've already touched on it. Sanchez set up Herrera for United's second goal, but who gave the ball to Sanchez? Was it Matter? It was yeah. Matter. Well, you would well, because you've probably watched just watched highlights. That's probably why I've watched the game twice, mate. Uh, Angel Gomez came on as a sub for Manchester United, but who did he replace when he made oh, his debut Rashford. in the league? No, not sorry. Oh, no. for goodness sake! You've, you've been you've, you've locked, jumped the gun You've locked yourself. So when he made his debut when in the he league, made his debut in the league, he came on as a sub. Palace last season. He came on for someone. Who did he come on for? I'm going to make a guess. I don't know, but I'm going to guess it. He's sort of player that maybe came on for a Jesse Lingard. It was actually Wayne Rooney. Oh. Fair, fair play. So there was another FA Cup for round time Friday. Who were the teams involved? Sheffield Wednesday and Reading. And that one finished 3-1 to Sheffield Wednesday, just in case you're interested, listeners. Uh, Maxime Biamu scored the goal which sent which League 2 team into round five? Coventry. Oh. Stevens running away of it again. <laughs> Last question. Just uh, you could get a consolation point for yourself here, mate. Who scored a last-minute winner for Brighton at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup at the weekend? Oh, Murray. Well done, Mike. There you go, mate. Got there on the go. score sheet. So it's I a, never want you to leave empty-handed. It's oh. a 4-1 victory for Stephen in the quiz this week. And I hope you've got some of those if you're listening at home. 
Uh, but to get back to the chat then, and I wanted to just kind of lead into discussing some transfers at Yeovil by talking about the national picture transfer-wise. Obviously, we've had the, the excitement of having Sanchez making his debut here in Somerset and all of the kind of fanfare that went around with that. Obama Yang from Dortmund's getting close to a yes. move to Arsenal, Mike. I just wanted to ask your opinions on, on that one. Um, yeah, very interesting move, really. I mean, the fact is, um, Bami Yang, you can't deny this quality of finishing pace, um, driven ability, uh, very much someone who can play, someone who can play forward or someone play on the wing. So we can be someone who can play alongside, say, um, Ozil, Lacazette. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how we will do for Arsenal. Um, my only worry is um, it is proposed that possibly Drew will be leaving or um, be involved in a sort of cash plus player deal. And it gives you a different option, doesn't it, compared yeah. to most Arsenal players? Exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, uh, speaking about Drew specifically, um, you see, it's important to have that sort of plan B strike on the bench. And, you know, the, the quality of his touches as well, I mean, for goodness sake, you need the the, the scorpion, scorpion kick, kick yeah. against Palace for goodness sake. You've got Mkhitaryan and Giroud. Yes, oh, so the scorpion king. So one could do one the scorpion kick, yeah. kick for the uh, the assist, and Giroud could just. Oh wow, well, that would be the, that would be a beautiful a flick, goal. Yeah, but um, but it's interesting really because I think it's important that we keep Giroud and Bang Yang because you know you look at say Chelsea who are basically signing any lanky. Uh, <laughs> Pumby centre yeah. forward, so only going to lump rumours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, um, but hopefully we we keep uh, um, Giroud and. Like I said, I think it'll be a key signing for Arsenal. Which the latest rumour is that it could be Batshuayi going to Dortmund, not Giroud. So yeah, well, thank you, Chelsea, if you if you do that. That was a really rumour earlier this month that um, yeah, Chelsea. Um, I'm sorry, Dortmund are in for Batshuayi, but it's interesting because Batshuayi seems to be scoring an awful lot lately for someone Chelsea seem quite keen to get rid of. So very very bizarre. I very think it's bizarre. because he's because he's very mobile striker really, and um, and and you've got Morata who's got to be you've got got a better touch. Mm. Um, and I do like Bashoi. I just think he's not really someone who's willing to say play, um, say second, second fiddle. fiddle yeah. And I think if you go with Stallman, he will just blossom there. As uh, man, so. Okay, yeah. So there's some so. Arsenal news there, and they were obviously the winners of the FA Cup in 2017. So I wanted to ask you both now that Yeovil sadly have crashed out, and obviously the draw is tonight. We're recording this on Monday, January 29th, as I said. Uh, who's going to go on and, and win the FA Cup in 2018, do you think? I think probably be... Because it's hard to see past... I, I, I would say but... Manchester United, I think, that Mourinho hates going a season without a trophy. Yeah. Mm. It's the best chance. I think you saw on Friday with the team that he took down to Yeovil and the team that he played, how seriously he's taken the competition because... Um, they're not going to win the Premier League. Man yeah. City are simply no. too far ahead of them. The Champions League, he will no doubt go for, but there are so many good teams in that that you can never really bank on success in it. I think mm-hmm. yeah, it's one of those things you have to wait and see how the competition progresses. I think the FA Cup, he will see as a genuine opportunity to win a trophy and I think that he will throw everything at it. And then Yeovil yeah. could say they went out to the winners. So of course. That's what we so, be able to say, I guess. If, if only you know, Yeovil, you know, got a, like a last bit, uh, you know, got a goal or something, they could have prevented United when winning the Cup. Oh, so who do, you, who do you think will will do it? Do you do you agree? Think, Man United will be in there. I think it'll probably be. I think I think it will be City. I can see the logic behind seems uh, thinking there because Mourinho again he says he hates uh, not winning something in a season, um, and I think for game management Mourinho is top class for that. Um, but I still think the City. I think with the the wealth of talent, the way they've they they control the games and the way they see out games, there's a different edge to City this season. And I think that you know. They will probably be very, very. And I suppose being, being so far yeah. ahead in the league, they're going to be able to probably 
rotate a bit more in the cup, so that yeah, gives course. City another edge. I think, and at the same time as well, I mean, it could get to Red Husky could get to the point where City are, you know, X points away in in in, in the league, and they could rotate, and then so go, okay, the league is hands on the cup, but we can maybe go, okay, look at this, the FA Cup, we can maybe put some Volver stronger players in the FA Cup and um, really focus on that really because the quadruple was on really for them but it is well it'll be interesting to see how yeah. far they go with that and Stephen I, I know you mentioned um, the strength of United's team there so I just wanted to pick you up on a, another thing coming back to the Yeovil game against United was it disappointing to see that Pogba and Martial didn't travel because they were really only two well them and De Gea the, the, the big names that didn't travel uh, obviously we saw lots of big names anyway but I guess some people Probably, especially youngsters, maybe in Yeovil now. If they if they're really into their football and they're young, then Pogba, I suppose, is one of the superstars think, at the moment. Yeah, Pogba is probably the one who you'd say would be. It was disappointing not to see him. Mm. However, having said that, I think you, there was always going to be at least one of their big names who didn't play. I think yes, Mourinho's taken it seriously, but he, he would you would think that whatever team that he took down, he would have backed to beat Yeovil. And it, of course, it's worth remembering that Manchester United have a big league game away at Tottenham to come in midweek. So the last thing he would have wanted to do is risk all of his star players at Yeovil and risk one of them potentially getting an injury, which could have kept him out for um, for what's a very important league game. So I can understand why. I think De Gea, we knew, wouldn't play because yeah. Sergio Romero is their de facto number one in the Cups. It would only have been if there'd been an injury to... Um, Romero that we may have seen De Gea um, and Martial yeah I, I'm I, I expected Martial to be in the squad to come down at least but of course you've got the likes of Lingard and Rashford who um, obviously are in support of um, Lukaku generally mm. so I'm not too surprised that he didn't that he left one of them at home but yeah it would have been nice to see him but I think that the players that did come down you know there were a lot of star players on show and um, they they gave a good account of themselves and um, kept the crowd entertained so I think from that point of view I think it was um, I think it was job well done by them yeah and I guess yeah from, from our point of view probably more exciting to see Rashford as an England player anyway yeah mm. um, right moving back to Yeovil then because we've discussed the kind of balance between the cup and the league there and obviously that, that sort of goes out the window now for Yeovil and quite rightly that it's their main focus should be on staying in the football league which is going to be so crucial to the survival of the football club and and the continuing success of the football club, you would hope. Um, so, as far as I understand it, the next two league fixtures against Grimsby and Cambridge, two very important games. Cambridge are in 15th on 38 points. Grimsby are in 17th on 35 points. And then Yeovil Town are in 21st on 28 points. So they are, yeah, they're, they're in the same sort of ballpark in the league. So there's two teams that Yeovil should be hoping to beat, but... Yeovil at the end of the day are the ones that are really in the relegation mixer because they are just two places above Forest Green Rovers and only two points above them as well. So Stephen, mm. how important is it that they sort of manage to convert the performances that they clearly they can summon up for the occasion of a Manchester United and take it to Grimsby and, and, and Cambridge? I'll put it this way, I think this next month is probably the most important month that Yeovil Town have faced in their entire Football League history because it will this month will determine whether Yeovil were safe or whether they will go down. They have some massive, massive games coming up. Um, Grimsby and Cambridge are two huge opportunities for them at home where generally, you know, before sort of the new year, they were they were strong at home. They need to produce some of that form and get at least two results, if not two wins under their belt in the next few days. But then it's after that where you have um, crew away next weekend 
and Barnet at home. And they are two teams who are right in there in a relegation mix with Yeovil. And I think Yeovil need to beat both of those two teams. They certainly need to get a result at Crewe because they cannot afford to drop points to them. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it is absolutely crucial that Yeovil Town survive in the Football League this season because if they don't, if they go down to the conference, you know, it's a lot of uncertainty there. And um, I would say serious question marks as to whether they would be able to find their way back into the league because we've seen so many good teams go down into the conference and in some cases slide into oblivion. In other cases, you've got big names for likes of um, Wrexham, I think Wrexham and Tranmere, two examples of, you know, historic football league teams who mm. for years and years were established football league clubs who have gone down into the conference and haven't been able to find their way um, back into it. So it is absolutely massive for Yeovil that they stay in the league. The next few games are probably, it's the best run of fixtures that they have between now and the end of the season in terms of the opportunity it gives them to pick up points on their rivals. And if they don't pick up points, then I really do fear for them because the running that they have is really, really tough on paper. And if you look at the, um, if you look at the way in which um, the season is panning out, I expect teams in and around the Oval, like Chesterfield, Forest Green and Port Vale, when they... Um, really bed in their January signings with the extra budgets they have to begin to pull away from the bottom two. So Yeovil cannot be left behind. They have to pick up points now. And now the FA Cup run, as good as it was, and the, as good as the financial rewards that it brought into the club are, their only focus now can be on the league. They cannot you know, dwell on this game on, on last Friday. They, ha- they have to look forward. They have to look ahead to the games and they have to make sure they stay in the league. Absolutely. It's got to be the priority. Um, Mike, why do you think it is that you know, players of in a League Two side like Yeovil are able to sign and raise their game. I mean, it might be an obvious question in a way, but you know, to see them play so well against Manchester United and then to see them turn in disappointing performances against a, a Chesterfield. Or something I think it's like just that. more of a centre, really. I think the cut a couple of games more of like a distraction, really, because they're sort of like um, you know, it's not the same thing. You know, obviously on the weekends you play in, um, your league games, but obviously on the on one day you get a chance to play. If you can't get a chance to play. Um, and check a trade so I think they possibly play up in those sort of games because it's a one-off really mm-hmm. and if they go out oh, it's okay but if but there's a real incentive to go to the next round there's a sense of progression a sense of, of, of success if you uh, go to the next round of the cup when you play in a league it's just oh you get three points and you may go a, go a place and it's like oh okay but yeah. but I think um maybe alongside that maybe some players are just thinking well the FA Cup is uh, say for example or quite a Quite prestigious competition, you know, world famous, and so they're thinking, you know, if we can, if I can get a good performance in here, maybe obviously Tranmere's coming up, might get, a, might, might, might actually get myself a nice uh, deal away for some, for example. Um, but it is a case really that I think now with obviously out of the FA Cup and such a in vital month coming up for the time, they need to start um, te- really seriously taking those performances into the league. Because again, as Stephen said, I think if if you ever go out of the league, then I don't think they'll be able to return. Um, for instantly, um, so it's important that for the sake of the club, and I think it's for the sake of uh, football in the southwest that um, Yeovil stay in the and in the football league, especially. Mm. So. Yeah, absolutely. There's not there's not many football league teams I, I, about I, in this part of the world. I think the key thing now is that one of the reasons why it's really extra important mm. and imperative and to stay in the league this season is that. I think off the top of my head, it's 12 players that they have under contract for next season. They've, got, they've done a lot of work to make sure these players are tied down, that they're on two-year deals and that 
they can really hit the ground running next season if they survive. And it is a big if, but if they survive, I think with some of the um, benefits of this cup run that hopefully you may see reinvested into the first team squad, certainly in the summer, you've got the possibility then that um, a lot of these players who have, you know, in their first year at Yeovil now will be settled in and be able to improve next season. And I really do have high hopes for 2018-19 season for Yeovil. If they are in League Two, will be a much better one and they will be able to really push up that league table. But, of course, that all counts for nothing if they go down because if they go down, suddenly they're going to have to cut the wage bill. A lot of these players who are on um, two-year deals, they're going to have to find ways to get rid of a lot of them. And, of course, you've got the issue of some of those players, even if they're on two-year deals, are they actually going to want to stay and play in the National League? Probably not. And then mm. you've got to do that whole rebuilding process again. And I agree with Mike. It's going to be very, very difficult to see how Yeovil can get themselves out of that situation if that's what they end up in. So it's mm. a bit of an all-or-nothing scenario. Yeah. Then. That's a, yeah, it's a very interesting point, Stephen. You know, this would be a good foundation for them to build on next year if they can stay up. But, yeah, if they don't, then that, that's a lot of problems ahead for the club. Um, but I should say that although most fans were able to kind of put their worries about the league on the back burner and enjoy the visit of Manchester United, there was a protest outside Jewish Park um, in the build-up to the visit of Jose Mourinho and all those footballing stars we've already discussed. Uh, a small, we have to say, a relatively small group of fans, at least visibly, in this protest, holding up banners saying uh, uh, "Fry out," mostly referring to uh, John Fry, the, the club chairman, but also a couple of way out banners as well referring to the club manager of course um, Stephen do you think they actually that perhaps the support for those sort of sentiments might be more widely felt than the numbers in that protest actually suggested I think certainly I think they the I think the number of people who have said that to 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 some degree, particularly about um, the owner, John, sorry, co-owner John Fry, yeah. who's there, and Norman Hayward, the other co-owner, and um, manager Darren Way. It, it was very in evidence before Christmas. As we know, there is a consortium out there who has shown an interest in starting talks with the club to, um, with regards to a possible takeover. And I would be very surprised if that doesn't begin to sort of come back out of the woodwork again now the FA Cup run is over. I think there is a very growing concern among fans as to particularly the ownership and particularly the um, succession plan that is in place there because um, it's well known John Fry and Norman Haywood they're, they're both in their 70s they can't go on forever they've been at the club for a long time and I think maybe it is time to consider some new investment and um, and just to some, get some fresh ideas into the club to help it move forward um, and I completely understand why some fans are frustrated as a supporter myself you know it, it, it is very frustrating the way that results have gone down and I think that's and, and that's being manifested in the fact that there are protests there and um, I think it's whether whether you agree with the um, the supporters who did protest whether you agree with that or not I think it's very fair to say that there there is rising concern and rising discon- um, discontent um, among the support base and um, and I think for fans as long as they do it in an appropriate and peaceful manner which by all accounts these fans did on Friday I think they have every right to 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 make their feelings clear because mm. at the end of the day they're supporters they've I, I understand that a lot of them may not be going to games anymore but um, some of them who um, who are in, who are involved probably do go to games and they, they pay a lot of money to do that a lot of money to to watch what has been declining football over the last few years and um, and 
they obviously care about the club and they're, they're showing that they care about the club, even if it's, you know, by way of making clear their feelings against the ownership or mm. against the management. And how long, just briefly, because um, we do have to end it soon, has, has Darren Way got? Because obviously you mentioned how crucial the, the coming games are and I, I have been told that there could be, although he's had the support of the board up until now, there might be some rumblings the other way. I think I think for now he will get the next few games. I don't think there's going to be any change in that, certainly in the next few weeks, because these games are so important that I I don't think that I don't think there'll be a change. It certainly won't be in the next couple of games because I mean if you overall are to if you overall are to um survive, I don't think they can make a change in this run of fixtures because doing so, you know, the disruption it could cause, it could really, you know, yes it could you know, have a positive impact, but on the other hand, it could have a negative impact and really send the club back to non-league. I think that really, if they wanted to do that, if the board wanted to do that, they probably missed the boat for this mm. season now because what the ideal situation would have been if you were a board that wanted to change a manager would have been to do it before Christmas, get a new man in in time for January transfer window, assess where the squad was, what needed improving, and then let the new man come in and really make that difference. Now, given the fact that the transfer window will be over in two days' time, the fact that the squad for the rest of the season will be set, I think that really I don't I don't see make, how making a change at this exact moment is going to have a very you know positive impact either way. So, so do you I think, think we're in a place where I think if you're, you're able to drop into relegation zone, we could just continue until the end of I the season? I think you could. I think you could see that situation. You know, I, I, I think there could be a change. If, if Yeovil's if you ever do drop into the bottom two and look like they're going to be cut adrift, then I could potentially see a change there. But I don't think, as long as the overall remain above the bottom two, I'd be very surprised mm. if the club, if there was a change that was of the board's doing. Of course, the other factor to consider with this is, of course, um, there are rumours of a consortium, which we, which I mentioned a moment ago. And you know, if the if this group decides it wants to really press ahead with negotiating and running the club, then that, in a way. That could delay any any managerial change because if you're John Fry or Norman Hayward, who if they want to get rid of Darren Way, will have to pay him compensation. Then the question is why why should we spend a lot of money to pay off a manager that you know in a few months' time, if we sell the club, that can be somebody else's problem. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, fo- this is a football club, but also from an ownership point of view, it's run as a business, and from a business point of view. Would you spend a six-figure sum, potentially as much as that, to get rid of somebody if that could be a, that won't be a problem if you sell the club? It's a, it's a difficult one, you know. It's a, I think the board has sort of backed themselves into a bit of a corner with that, but mm. it's um it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I think that you know survival has to be the key aim, and it has to be it's the only aim really. And um, we'll, we'll see how it unfolds. Absolutely, that is into so many different facets to to what might happen and all I can say I guess is keep checking somersetlive.co.uk forward slash sport and also keep tuning into this podcast every week and we'll cover the issues as they unfold because it is going to be like Stephen is explaining a key few months for Yeovil Town Football Club thank you for listening and I hope you've enjoyed all of our coverage of the Man United game and like, like Stephen says it's back to focusing on the league now and cheering on the Glovers every week Ik vind 
Nu 2 gig data met een 0 minuten bel- en sms-bundel voor maar 9 euro per maand. Omdat het kan. Check tele2.nl voor de beste deal voor jou. Niet omdat het moet, maar omdat het kan.